You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to this edition of the Padres On Deck Podcast. This week, Bill Center of Padres.com and John Conniff and David Jay of Matt Fryers are taking a look at the recent promotion of Fernando Tatis Jr. from Fort Wayne to San Antonio. The two Midwest League Players of the Week in Hudson Potts and Lake Bocker. The playoff pushes of four minor league affiliates and much more in this edition of the Padres On Deck Podcast. Welcome, Padres fans. Welcome to this edition of Padres on Deck, the uh, podcast. Uh, this is Bill Center with Padres.com, and my Twitter handle is uh, Padre, at Padres Central, and I'm joined today with by David Jay and John Conniff. Uh, they are, of course, Mad Friars, and they are at madfriars.com, and their Twitter handle is at Mad Friars. David, John, hello. Hello, Bill. How are you? Hey there, Bill. Good to talk to you. Good talking to you. We are we are talking today on it's Monday, August twentieth, twenty first. Already an eventful day, and we're going to shoot right to the top of the news, which is uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, getting the promotional promotion from uh, uh, Single A Fort Wayne. He skips one stop and goes straight to Double uh, A uh, San Antonio. The corresponding move, the 17-year-old Gabriel Arias goes to uh, Fort Wayne from the Arizona Rookie League. So you have uh, two things here. You've got now the youngest player, Gabriel Arias, is the youngest player in the Midwest League. And you've got uh, Fernando Tatis, the youngest player in the Texas League. And, David, I'll toss it to you first. What do you think about these – what about about this move? Well, I – Certainly, uh, if you'd asked me two months ago if it was possible, I would have said absolutely not. And last month when we talked about it, I said, you know, that that his production had really ticked up and things were trending in the right direction, and he'd at least made it a conversation. So uh, certainly it's impressive to see. Uh, you know, it. I think, you know, they they wanted to keep him in the in the playoff mix, so certainly sending him to San Antonio checks that box. Uh, you know, he's, he's an incredibly talented guy and what we've seen is month by month this year, his on field production based on that talent has, has increased. So it's, uh, certainly credit to him and, uh, exciting to see for the organization. You know, interesting to me that, uh, Fort Wayne's also in a playoff chase here. And you wonder because Fort Wayne's a great little franchise. Uh, if that might adversely affect uh, uh, their playoff hopes, uh, John, you know, I know we're, we're, we're helping San Antonio. Are we hurting uh, uh, Fort Wayne at all, John? Oh yeah. I mean, I can imagine I'll be at Fort Wayne hopefully next week. And I can imagine uh, they probably were not too happy about uh, losing Tatis because I think they came so far into the season. And usually when the Padres have a, a position player that's of that age, they keep him there for the full year. But I think as David pointed out, I mean, the production, especially in the second half, is just going up so much that, you know, maybe they get a little aggressive. I think this is a, I can't think back to, maybe David can correct me, that a player going from Fort Wayne to double A San Antonio for more than like a cup of coffee. I think the last one was Will Venable. 
that was back in 2007. But Tatis is a tremendous player. Um, whole thing with him is going to be how well his plate discipline holds up at that level. Right. Uh, Preller early this year and Sam Ganey, of course, told you and, and me the same thing, that they were going to push these guys. They wanted to see what they could do if they had mm-hmm. if they had accomplished everything at one level, they were going to move them to the next level and push them. And, of course, this is quite a push. At yeah. San Antonio now, very interesting. You have probably a double play combination. Luis Urias at second, Fernando Tatis at short. Uh, these are two guys, I mean, the third and the fourth ranked prospects in the Padre system by MLB.com. Uh, very interesting to see how they play together. And do you think that this is the double play combination of the future here, or there's going to be some more shuffling? I'll start with John. I saw, you know, Dave and I kind of piggybacked off each other at, at spring tra- training, and I saw both Tatis and uh, Urias play quite a bit together. As far as the uh, double play combination of the future, I mean, I think that's what the Padres would like. I think right now we have to kind of wait for a little bit more uh, performance and evidence uh, to see what they can do. But, you know, gosh, there's a lot to like from both those guys. David? Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly from the MLB rankings, uh, which are really just residual at this point, I think it's pretty clear that that Tatis is going to have to wind up at the top of the list by the end of the year. and clearly those are two guys who are positioning themselves to be cornerstones of the organization. Uh, Urias has certainly uh, had an uncharacteristic struggle here through the second half. Uh, actually, just the last couple of nights seems to be hitting the ball with more authority again, uh, translated with a homer last you know, yesterday. Um, you know, you'd certainly like to see him finish the season strong to build on. And certainly both of them are guys who should be in the mix for big league jobs before their 21st birthdays. I agree. Uh, interestingly that uh, Urias last week started to draw walks again, which uh, a lot of times is an indicator that a guy has got his eye back and he's, uh, uh, he's, he's back on track. Uh, other interesting point with Tatis going to uh, San Antonio what does that say about the uh, future of Javier Guerra, who, again, uh, struggled at the plate at Lake Elsinore, got a chance to go to San Antonio here, got off to a little bit of a quick start, and has sort of slipped back. Uh, do you think this is sort of, uh, uh, I mean, does he drop off the charts? Does he go down the radar? What do you think the future of uh, Javier Guerra is? Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately. Yeah, no worries. I mean, ultimately, it's it's all about production, and you know, Fernando Tatis being there certainly is going to change his opportunity. But uh, the what's impacting Javier Guerra's chance of future success is Javier Guerra's current performance, not what somebody else is doing. Um, and and it is a shame, you know, he's a guy who I tacked on at number thirty on my list coming into this year simply because I've never seen such a gap between somebody's raw ability and what the production on the field was. But now you're at, you know, two full seasons worth of data that says he's not able to do it, which you know, the organization has to, has to weigh that above what 
you look at and see as raw ability. So uh, he certainly has a has an even tougher road to climb now than he did three months ago. I got to add a footnote here to that raw ability, raw ability versus production thing. I guess you, uh, if you say you've never seen anything quite like it, you must not have seen Ruben Rivera. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I have. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, talk, about, but, talk, talk about ability to uh, production. Yeah, but, but Ruben's a guy who came through minor league system first for the Yankees and then certainly in the PCL with with production. And with you're talking about a guy who's likely to go down as having his peak production year in the Sally League, which is not something you want to be able to say about anybody. Well, one thing about, about Javier Guerra, I was talking to some of the guys out in San Antonio, and they said that, you know, the same thing we've been saying. His defense is, is very, very good. He just he just can't hit right now. And he said there's something with a lot of the Padres, you know, you just see it. It's so close. It's kind of like they want it to happen so much that, you know, they can't get past it. You know, he hit 202 last year in the Cal League. He was 226. And as David said, there was some production that was going upward right before he was uh, promoted. But, you know, I mean, I, when I saw him and – a couple of scouts I talked to, he has trouble hitting anything other than a fast inside fastball. Now, of course, you know, another interesting thing today is that uh, uh, El Paso wins. And be, uh, they, although their record is only 500, they have now moved into the lead uh, in the Pacific Coast League, Pacific South Division, which means the defending PCL champions could, in two weeks, we've got two weeks to go, uh, reach the playoffs for a third straight year. When you look across the board at the Padres organization, you've got El Paso, San Antonio, Fort Wayne, Tri-City, and the Padres' number two team in the Arizona Rookie League all looking at possible postseason berths. How do you guys think, uh, which ones do you think will make it, and which ones do you think will fall just a little bit short? Well, I'll take the easy answer. I'll I'll say I'm fairly confident San Antonio is going to make it because they clinched the first half berth. So um, right. I'll, I'll go ahead and take that one off the off the board and let John answer a difficult question now. <laughs> David, that's not fair. Um, you know, one thing is we get questions all the time about how much does it mean if a team makes the playoffs and what does it really mean for development. And the, the tough the answer is not so great. It just depends. I mean, it's a much bigger thing for a team like Fort Wayne with so many young guys you can see as being part of the Padres' future to win and make the playoffs kind of as compared to El Paso. And nothing against, you know, any of those guys because they're trying their best and, you know, they're, they've kind of been discarded and they're trying to get another opportunity. But there's not a whole lot of guys probably outside of Francis Cordero and maybe Nick Jankowski that you can really see being in the San Diego lineup you know, going forward. I mean, most of the staff in Fort Wayne, I mean, there's a lot to dream on down there. And, I think and you look at any time. Go ahead. I'll, I'll come in afterwards. And certainly you look at Fort Wayne, and I think part of what makes the decision to move Tatis up a little bit easier for, for that franchise to swallow is what we've seen Hudson Potts doing over the, really over the second mm-hmm. half, but especially in the last six weeks. Um, and, and you do start to look at who are the performers out there. And, 
you know, where where you've got a team there whose core production right now are players who uh, both on the mound and position-wise have a real opportunity to be competitive big leaguers in the future, you know, certainly uh, th- that has a lot more significance than, than you know, you, you look at the Giants' history of having their Northwest League team win with a roster full of 24-year-olds. So uh, it is certainly a mix of, of production and, and who's doing the production. Um, and, and quite frankly, the fact that Tri-Cities in the mix with, with as young a roster as they have up there is pretty remarkable as well. You know, I'm of the opinion that it never hurts to win a championship. I don't think there are any negatives, mm-hmm. even like at El Paso. If it only touches one or two guys that may eventually be here, and I and I will agree with you, there's not a lot of prospects at uh, El Paso right now, aside from maybe under Renfro. But if it touches one or two guys that wind up being here, I think every little bit helps. And uh, I do put some stock into teams reaching the playoffs. It's not a bad experience. Plus you play a little bit longer, you get a little bit more experience. Uh, we're going to move, we're going to move the needle again here. I want to talk about, uh, we were talking about Fort Wayne and right now they're one game out of the, uh, a game and a half, I think out of the uh, uh, playoff spot, the second playoff spot in their division. And this week they sort of, uh, they had they had a rare double. They had both the Midwest League Player of the Week and the Midwest League uh, Pitcher of the Week. And uh, uh, we we got uh, Lake Back Bacher, the pitcher, and uh, Hudson Potts. We were just talking about the Player of the Week, and I'll let you guys discuss both. And uh, uh, Potts has had a great second half, and of course, Bacher threw seven perfect innings last week. I think David just saw Bacher, so I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it over to David because I think when you were out in Arizona, you saw him pitch a little bit right before he was about to go up to Fort Wayne. Yeah, and he was he was uh, held back this year because of a little uh, shoulder impingement, uh, nothing significant actually. He and and uh, Michelle Baez both got a late start because because of shoulder stuff that that wasn't really big, but but held them back a little bit. So. Uh, you know what Bacher and uh, Joe Galindo, Jose Galindo did uh, last week, coming in out away from a perfect game, and one might argue a, a couple of squeezed strikes on the on the 27th batter of the game didn't help, but uh, certainly not hard to to see the league recognizing Bacher. Although I am, I will point out that uh, he he had a pretty decent competition yet again from uh, Pedro Avila, who yesterday went out and for the fourth time in ten outings down there put up double digit strikeout rates, and he actually carried a, a no hitter into the fifth inning and wound up giving up just the one run. So uh, that pitching staff, you know, Baez has had a couple of of rough starts here, uh, but when you look at at the front end of that staff. If they can uh, keep them going for the last two weeks here, it certainly gives that club a pretty good chance heading into that playoff push. I saw Potts in May and um, in for a win. I always thought, even though his numbers weren't there, I thought he would hit. And uh, you know, he just had a very kind of calm demeanor about him. He has some power. He put up some good numbers last year in the AZL. And his manager Anthony Contreras was saying that the thing about Potts and Jack Sawinski, who's an outfielder, is you know, they both have a real quiet confidence, and they both kind of 
really don't get too high or too low. I think um, Anthony told a good story. He said he, he hit a triple in the game that was up there, and he'd fouled off like about 10 or 12 pitches. And so he gets on third base, and he has that real iconic Texas draw, and he goes, well, that wasn't a bad at bat. And, you know, and Contreras is going, yeah, that was a great at bat. And, you know, it was wonderful what you're doing. So Hudson is kind of learning a new position this year at third base. And, uh, you know, I think he's kind of played himself into a, a good shot of being third base for next year for the Storm. Why do you and there's think other the, piece uh, with him. Go ahead. The other piece with him is just to, you know, you got to remember that he's finishing up a year and a half out from his draft class, and he's younger than all but two of the right. kids who were taken in the first round of this year's draft class. So uh, certainly yeah. when you look at, at the window for opportunity for improvement, that plays into it as well. Do you think that's the key uh, The key question here as to why he was off to a slow start? He was just so young and great. I think that's part of it. I and, mean, you know, the Texas kid making the adjustment to – life in April in the Midwest league is, is not the best thing you could ask a young man to do either. Um, and you know, things come together for people at different paces. And what you've seen yeah. is, is again, a, a decreasing strikeout rate, a, a slightly better walk rate as the season's gone on. And, you know, clearly he's adjusting to the speed of the game in full season ball. And one I'm incredible surprised. With Hudson, oh, sorry. One big problem with Hudson Potsville that you would like a lot is, when you interview him, you, you don't have to worry about slowing down the recorder to get everything. I mean, you can type how fast Hudson is speaking with that draw. So uh, he's, he's a good guy on that. <laughs> you, know, you were talking about uh, April in the Midwest League. I'm always surprised that so many Latin American players wind up in the Midwest League as their first time. Oh, yeah. That first April, that first April's just got to be painful for them. Well, I asked Jorge Onya about that when I was out there. I, he said it was the first time he ever saw snow and cold weather. And then I asked him if he enjoyed it. He said, no, he looked right and I, no translator needed for that. No, I did not enjoy it. No. <laughs> no. Hey, you know, we're going to, I want to uh, go to a different subject here and we're getting towards mm-hmm. the end of the year and everybody's got their top 30 lists. Uh, the one that I work with is ML, MLB.com. I know you guys have your own, list i'm going to ask you both uh to name me give me three sleepers in terms of uh, players who might not have been on the mlb.com top 30 list so you really like the way they've developed this year you go first david <laughs> all right well and you know certainly when you look at at people who were total wild cards coming into the season and what was going to happen uh, Michelle Baez was was certainly an unknown commodity, and has clearly asserted himself as somebody who belongs in the top ten somewhere. Uh, so that's that's an easy and obvious one. I think if you're talking about guys who've been in the organization who people were sleeping on a little bit previously, um, you know, you look at what Fran Miel Reyes continues to do, and I have been higher on Fran Miel since probably since he came stateside at this point than most people, but I'd like to see what he's doing at the plate in San Antonio. It'll be interesting to see if they do make a move to get him uh, to first base at some point. Uh, Boy, pitching wise, 
you got to think uh, Pedro Avila has made a pretty good case for himself. Uh, not, you know, you look at, at the depth of starting pitching in this organization. He may not be one of the top 10 starting pitching prospects, but uh, probably nine or 10, I guess, off the top of my head. But uh, certainly a guy who has gone from sort of a, an interesting project to somebody who, again, is translating that skill set into on-field performance. And even though you don't like to see the step back he had to take, you know, he is still going to open next season uh, right around his 21st birthday. So it's not exactly like he's behind the curve. I'll go with 41 strike. I mean, oh, go ahead, Bill. Go, go ahead. Bill. I'll uh, go with you guys from Avila, what? Oh, Avila? Oh, yeah. 102 strikeouts, 12 walks. Yes. In Fort Wayne. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, I'll go with two guys who were in the organization before who are both in Fort Wayne. I'll go with um, Marcus Green, who's been out. I mean, you know, I thought put together a really good year on both sides of the plate uh, as the catcher. Had about a, like a 367 on base percentage. And I'll go with the sleeper, too. Another uh, giant person is uh, Brad Zunica, who's, you know, who's really made a lot of changes to his swing, had much better plate discipline. And I think, as we've told you before, we've seen him before. He has some incredible power. I think David always mentions Fermil Reyes because he's afraid of being eaten by him. I mean, Fermil got down to a <laughs> svelte 6'5", 265 when I saw him in San Antonio. And he's not hes not a fat guy. He's just that big a human being, you know. I'm going to ask you about – I know this guy's on your list, and he's not on MLB.com's list, and that is uh, Brett Kennedy, who is having a great mm. – season at San Antonio and I'm going to throw the name out there Brett Kennedy and ask you guys to speak to it because I know you you guys love him and he's not on the MLB list so we're we're giving you a chance here madfriars.com make a case for Brett Kennedy well I had him on my personal uh, list going going into this season and when you see him he's not that physically uh, imposing, but but he's a guy who has good velocity with his fastball and is able to place it at all four quadrants of the plate, and is just a an absolute bulldog on the mound. Uh, you know, he's a guy who actually, in some ways, reminds me of uh, former Padres farmhand Matt Andres, who's who's carved out a pretty good little role for himself with with the Rays. Uh, you know, again, not quite the same physical physicality that Andres had. But but a guy who definitely has the ability to to stick in the rotation if there's an opportunity, and if not, can uh, be a really good back and forth guy the way that that Matt has. So I I it's hard to argue with what he's done at Double A. You know he doesn't have to go on the 40 man roster this winter, so he's probably not in consideration at the start of next year. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if if he's pitching in the majors uh, by the middle of next summer. Yeah, I don't think we had Kennedy as one of our top – we didn't have him as one of our top 20 players, but we've always kind of pushed back on the fact that he's not a prospect because, you know, he's performed everywhere he's been, and we think we could see him, you know, pitching in the major leagues kind of as a back-of-the-rotation guy. He keeps the ball low, has a little more velocity than most people think. And one guy, you know, you might want to bring up too, Bill, uh, besides as much as we like Kennedy, who doesn't get a lot of attention, is Anil De Los Santos, who has – as big a fastball as anybody in the organization. He's actually thrown quite well in double A, and he, I think he just turned 21, too. 
Uh, there's another guy at San Antonio I like, and that's the uh, reliever, Trey Wingenner. Uh, oh, yeah. Eight. yeah. Uh, I mean, when his body when his body catches up to his height, I mean, this this guy has – and he's performed very well this year. In you know, yes. I, I don't like the save stat so much, but I love the save stat when it's a one-run game. And I've noticed he's protected a lot of one-run leads this year, and that, that impresses me. Yeah, well, I like 57 strikeouts and 43 innings. And I think, as David pointed out one time, too, is if you're a right-handed batter and you're facing uh, Trey, I mean, you better have a lot of courage because he has a three-quarters delivery at that height, and the ball looks like it's coming right at your head if you sit behind the, behind the plate. I mean, it's a tough at bat for a right-hand hitter. You know, we've talked before about uh, the the entire uh, San Antonio bullpen was uh, something to uh, watch. Of course, Eric Yardley has now moved up to El Paso. They sort of reformed that bullpen. Another guy that sort of interests me that sort of uh, – I thought this was going to be a pivotal year for Michael Kelly, and he really did well, mm-hmm. and he sort of slipped a little bit at the end. What uh, what What are your two takes on Michael Kelly? Who you went first? <laughs> you have a I'll little bit different you opinion. You go first, David. <laughs> well, um, I think between the two of us, John's probably the one who's more surprised by his struggles, and I'm the one who is more surprised mm-hmm. by his successes at, at Double A. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Michael's always been the guy who's had uh, ability. You know, he was a, a supplemental round pick out of high school, has shown it at times, uh, but you know, it, when it goes, it goes quickly and significantly for him. I know I'll, I'll let John talk about him because he's been higher on him historically. Yeah, he is. You know, when Michael's doing well, it, it all comes down to fastball command for him. He has as good a raw stuff. I think probably what he the the big difference between Double A and Triple A is you're facing a lot of older hitters. You just have a lot more patience and can wait things out, and maybe aren't as aggressive and. You know, Michael kind of sometimes beats himself up a little bit too much, but um, I was kind of with you, Bill. I thought Michael was gonna gonna go up there. I thought he was gonna perform a little better. I thought he have a shot to be with the Padres at the end of the year, but I think that's kind of fading because they moved him to the bullpen right now. Great guys, that's, I think that wraps it up for this edition of uh, Padres on Deck uh, podcast. They are David J. and John Conniff of madfriars.com you find them on twitter at madfriars and they're on twitter quite a bit i am bill center with padres.com and at padres central on twitter guys i thank you very much i really enjoy talking to you too so uh hopefully in another week and a half we'll be talking again and uh, have a good one we'll we'll be back to wrap up the minor league season